Welcome to series four of the Bold Flavors podcast. I'm Timo, founder and CEO of Gusto, a B Corp certified company that loves food, data, people, technology, and the planet. We are currently delivering millions of meals every single week, and our vision is to be the most loved way to eat dinner. Our purpose is to have positive impact on people and the planet. And each week here on Bold Flavors, I'll be talking to top company founders, CEOs and business leaders about their journey so far, what makes them tick and how they achieve what they're achieving. Today is really special. I'm talking to Alberto, one of the three Albertos who founded Zumba, the crazy successful and fun fitness dance movement. Zumba is now in 186 countries and it's over 20 years old. I love Zumba. And today, Alberto and I are talking about his passion for startups and entrepreneurship, his successes and failures, his amazing curiosity, and how he made it through the dark days of COVID, which killed so many fitness companies. Alberto, Zumba is a household name in so many countries, and it's part of so many people's uh, lives across the world. Huge congratulations. Are you proud? of what you've built. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And yeah, yes, Timo, I'm very proud of what we've built. And I think that the thing that the thing that makes me the proudest is one is I I don't think that it was only me or us here at the Zumba home office that built it. It was co-created between us and the Zumba instructor community. And we started training instructors in 2003. And they have been the ones that have been kind of telling us where it needs to go. And uh, the thing I'm most proud of is the stories, the stories of people's lives being changed, the stories of people uh, getting to know people, other people around the world and becoming friends, the stories of people leaving a bad relationship because their Zumba class helped them through it or surviving an illness because that Zumba class every week was their rock, was the moment that there was a woman, a breast cancer survivor who's a Zumba instructor. Mm. And she said, she told me the one hour that I forgot that I had cancer was in my Zumba class. Wow. Those are very, that's, that's what I'm proud of the most is that we were actually able to have an impact on people's lives. It's it's absolutely amazing. Uh, I know so many people who love what you've built. It's really, really incredible. But before we talk more about Zumba, kind of take me to the time before Zumba. Where did you grow up and how was it like? Sure. So I grew up in Bogota, Colombia. And I grew up in the 80s in Bogota, Colombia. And it was, Colombia was a tough place. It was a time where Pablo Escobar kind of ruled the country and was very violent and everything was about violence and and it even trickled down to the playground you know when we were kids it was like uh it it was a, now that i see it it was a lot more violent than the childhood that my that my kids are experiencing because that was like the the the, the atmosphere in mm. Colombia. it was a tough place and at that time, I think it's much better now. And at a very early age, I somehow stumbled upon business without knowing. So I, I, I had a watch with a little game on it when I was four years old. And wow. 
I could barely speak four years old, like, but I had this watch with a little game and I would lend it to a friend of mine in the class and he would give me money. Wow. I would lend it for the weekend and he would give me money. And his, his mother called my mom and told her that I had taken all his birthday money. <laughs> and, and my mom was like, why did you take that kid's money? And I said, well, I didn't take the money. I lent him my watch. And because I lent him my watch, he gave me money. And my dad in the background was like, my little kid invented renting. <laughs> he, was so, he was so excited that like, I had stumbled upon the concept of renting when I was four years old. So I, I somehow just really loved the creativity of business. My, my family has always been entrepreneurial. Uh, my, my, my dad had a leather goods factory. My grandfather had stores. And I remember visiting my grandfather's stores. And I, I have a, a, very, a very strong memory of him telling jokes with the cash register and the, the security guard at the store and us having lunch with the people who worked in the store and his humility and mm. his ability to enjoy people in all levels of the organization. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. And the loyalty that that created mm. was incredible. And he was able to grow his store into a chain of, of stores and then was, was very successful with it. And I think that was, that was a reason because of how he treated people and, and my dad's work ethic. My dad would wake up very early, go to work. And I always saw him, saw him working. So just, I, I just saw a lot of entrepreneurship and I was always thinking of creative things. And then in high school, I saw that the seniors didn't have a place where to park their cars. They could drive to school, but there was no parking and the parking slot, the parking spots were always taken and there was a piece of land in front of the school that was invaded by, by some homeless people. Those homeless people were kind of squatting on the land. And I went to them and, and I said, why don't we start a business? Why don't we, uh, I will bring the clients and you let people park on this land. And uh, it was a profitable business. We were 50-50 and <laughs> we, would, we would rent the parking spaces to my friends and the seniors in school. And, and so that was another business that I built early on. Wow. And so I was not afraid of entrepreneurship and a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think one of the messages I would like to send out with you here is, is a lot of people think they can't, they can't do it. It's not mm. food because their mindset is always like in the old oh, job mindset. I have to go get a job mindset, but it's not that hard. And uh, the mechanics of it, of starting a business, that's all easy. And you just have to get your first customer and just go through it. And uh, it's, it's nothing to be afraid of. And so what do you think? Like what, like 90% psychology and mindset or 80 or? At the beginning, it's all psychology. At yeah, the beginning, totally. it's, all, it's all believing you can do it. And I, I saw a guy named Scott Belsky speaking uh, the other day. He, he started a company called Behance, and he's, I think he sold it to Adobe. And he had a chart called The Joy of Entrepreneurship. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this. No. But in the early stages, uh, the idea is amazing. The idea is incredible. We are going to be the first ones to 
create the Uber of nail clippers or whatever people are doing. Right? <laughs> and so at the beginning, the idea sounds amazing. And then as they go into it, as people go into it, they start seeing the obstacles, the competitive landscape, the substitutes for the idea, uh, the pricing issues, uh, marketplace dynamics, whether whatever they're building. And the idea starts looking very hard and mm -hmm. it goes into a sort of decline of enthusiasm mm -hmm. and you have to keep your enthusiasm inside of you and keep the passion inside of you and keep fighting until you turn that and you start solving those things and you start, and then the idea starts becoming a real business mm -hmm. it's i've been through this many times in my life because i i started many businesses not only zumba so and most of them failures mm -hmm. Tell, tell me something about the failures. People love to hear about success. And obviously all the success stories end up in the Wall Street Journal. And I've you know, read so much about you, but I'd love to hear about failure too. Yeah, so in, I have a lot. <laughs> in, I graduated college in 98. And then I went to work for a consulting firm in New York in 99. It lasted 10 months because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I left that to start uh, an incubator for internet companies. I had too many ideas. Wow. So, so one wasn't enough. I needed to start nine. So in 99, I was 20 years old and I started nine companies and raised money from the WPP group, which is a huge advertising conglomerate, Merrill Lynch and some individual investors. And Wait, how did you do that? I need to ask because, you know, you're casually saying you're 20 years old and then you, you say, you know, Merrill Lynch, all these big companies. How did you do that? It was networking all the time. Mm -hmm. I was talking to people like I would, my friends were all, were all partying and going to nightclubs and like it was that time for them. And I was having business dinners, business lunches. I was always meeting people and getting connected and and just networking was how I got to people and building trust. And, and at that time also, it was everybody had FOMO about the, in, in the internet and investing in the internet. And so everybody wanted to, to, to invest. It was a, a very easy time to raise money. I, It was a lucky time for us. Well, afterwards, it was not lucky, but mm -hmm. during the time it was happening when we were raising money, we thought we were very lucky. So we raised about $8 million for this internet incubator wow. and uh, partnered with, with my brother and two other guys. And we, we started incubating these companies. And then 2001, they, they all raised their, like, their first seed round. And then 2001 happened, which was the dot-com bubble bursting. And it was all of them at the same time in trouble. Mm -hmm. And it was tough. It was very tough to see everything imploding just because we were just getting started. We were just mm -hmm. getting these companies off the ground and suddenly funding completely dried up. Mm -hmm. and, and I was out of a job. I was out of a job at 23 years old. And I was also unemployable mm. because I had done this, this, I started companies. Had, so who's going to hire me for what role? I didn't like, it was very tough for me to, mm. to see what my future was going to look like. Uh, but I kept thinking about ideas all the time. Like I'm, I'm very lucky that my mind 
works that way that I'm just thinking of frustrating situations and how you can make them better. And I'm always, anything I look at, I'm like, oh, this could be a good idea. But if you did this and if you connect this dot to this dot. And I was having dinner at my parents' house and my mom, my cousins, every female, and it was a big dinner, was talking about the dance fitness class that that they were taking. It was called Roomba. And they were talking about the instructor, Beto. And who's now my my business partner, and they were talking about how how amazing he is and how his class is always packed. And I turned to my mom and I said, "Do you think maybe I should talk to this guy?" She said, "Yeah, you should start a gym with him." And I said, "I don't know if I should start a gym with him, but but I have an idea. Can you can you introduce me to him?" Wow, that was the the genesis. oh, it's a complete serendipity. You just you know one of many ideas, and then you got to talk. Wow. Complete spaghetti strategy. I'm not like someone who has like a super clear vision of what the world's going to look like. It's just, I just think of little things that could work and then build from that, you know? And then, so what happened next? I'm so curious now. So my mom gets his number and calls him up and says, eh, I've, I've been taking a class for many years because she had taken his class in Colombia mm-hmm. and then he had moved to Miami. And a lot of people who had been taking his class in Colombia were now... Wow living in Miami and trying to take his class in Miami as well. And she said, I've been taking your class for many years. I'm, I'm always in the back row. And he's like, I know who you are. And she said, I want you to, to meet my son. He has an idea. And he said, well, sure. So the next day we were at Starbucks where a lot of good business ideas start. And we were talking about his life and his life story is incredible. I mean, he really grew up in the streets of Cali, Colombia, Mm. Uh, where Kali during the narcos time and he really lived through everything, everything. And, mm. and the, the narcos would hire him to, when he was 15 years old, to go dance with all the girlfriends and the wives. Like this was a gifted teenager that was the dancer, amazing dancer. He would dance in, in the nightclubs there. There's no age limit. You can go to a nightclub when you're very young in Colombia, or at least at, in our time. And so he would go there and just dance because he just wanted to dance. And they would be like, hey, why don't you take the girlfriends and the wives, go dance with them while we do business. And, and he lived through, like, he can tell you stories. Like there's, there's a telenovela of his life that, wow. that that's been done. So after he told me all those stories, I'm like, wow, this, this class must be something amazing. So I said, can I go see your class? So that afternoon, I showed up 30 minutes early to go see his class and there was a line out the door. Wow. In a gym, in a gym, there was a line out the door. Like it was the new iPhone launch or something. (laughs) People waiting for his class and shows up packed, packed, packed class. And he starts teaching. And I saw something that I didn't know existed in fitness, which was every single person was smiling but smiling, like really smiling, ear to ear, big smiles while they were sweating, drenched in sweat, but <laughs> smiling, happy, just truly, truly happy. And I said, wow, this, this, is, this is something something very unique. And so I went up to him afterwards and I said, I think we should, we should create some VHS tapes because it was still VHS in 2001 of your class and sell them on TV. And he said, do you have any money? I said, no, do you? 
said, no. I'm like, we'll figure it out. So we shook hands and I called my, my best friend from childhood, uh, whose name is Alberto as well. And Beto is short for Alberto. So three Albertos from Colombia. I called him up and I told him, hey, you know this guy, Beto? He's, I'm, I think I'm going to start a business with him. And he immediately said, I'm in. I know that guy. He used to teach my little sister and her friends how to dance in Colombia. He used wow. to come to the house in a moped and was my little sister's dance instructor. Wow. And, and that guy has amazing talent and let's do it. So we now had to figure out how to do infomercials. Remember infomercials? Of course. It was before e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Right. That was people weren't doing a lot of e-commerce in 2001. I mean, all these Amazon existed and all, a lot of people weren't buying off the Internet. People were still calling 1-800 numbers. And I thought it was very cool that you could go straight to the customer, that you didn't have to know anybody at Target or Walmart. And since my grandfather had stores in Colombia, I knew how hard it was to deal with with mm-hmm. buyers in stores and like with one of these infomercials. You create it, you run it, and if you get phone calls, it's your own merit. It was the early, it was the the precursor to e-commerce, right? Mm-hmm. If the product is good and you have a good advertisement, then all these metrics that they're using now, a CAC, CPA, customer acquisition, we had those, but they had different names in mm-hmm. the infomercial era. We had something called media efficiency ratio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically, LTV to CAC, mm-hmm. what we call it media efficiency ratio, and so we we set out to create an infomercial from his Roomba class. We couldn't trademark the word Roomba mm-hmm. uh, because uh, but there's a dance called Roomba, and Roomba means to party in Spanish. So we just went through the alphabet, and and we were getting nervous because Woomba sounded like a pregnancy. <laughs> so we we settled on Zumba. And we, and the rest is history. We started raising money. Again, I was out raising money, but then September 11 happened and people backed away from their commitments. And then in around November of 2001, we met with a company called Fitness Quest mm-hmm. in Ohio that did the, did you ever see the Chuck Norris machine? Did they sell that in the UK? No. Chuck, so this company had a, had a product called the Total Gym, which was like a, almost like a Pilates type machine which and Chuck Norris was the guy who pitched it on TV and they were, they were in the infomercial business. So I showed them the, the tape of Beto's class and they, they liked it. And they said, they said, we'll do this. So that was the beginning. Wow. And then what, what happened then? Like how slow was it at the beginning? So they, they said, we want to do this, but does Beto speak English? And we said, and I said, you know what? I've never spoken to him in English. I'm going to call him and ask him. I knew he didn't speak a word. So I go to the bathroom and I call him from the, from fitness quest in Ohio. And I'm like, Beto, they're, they're asking if you speak English, what do we tell him? And he said, dígale que sí, dígale que sí. So I'm like, yeah, you know, he speaks, but with a stronger accent than me, but he speaks. Then the next 60 days, me and the other Alberto are trying to teach Beto English because the guys from Fitness Quest were going to show up in Miami to see a class. And I think what makes Beto great at, at dancing, whatever part of his brain does that, has turned off the part that helps him learn languages because he couldn't learn English. It was a very, very hard. And around day 57, day 58 of like 
this this English crash course that we were trying to do, he said, just teach me how to say, nice to meet you, sorry, I need to go. And so for two days, we're teaching him how to say, nice to meet you, sorry, I need to go. Yeah, the people from Fitness Quest show up. He teaches an incredible class, like the best class he's ever taught. They were, they were, their jaws were on the floor. And then he walks up to them at the end of the class. Says, "Nice to meet you. Sorry, I need to go. Nice to meet you. Sorry, I need to go. Nice to meet." Say the exact same words to every single person. <laughs> and ran off, and I'm like, "No, he's so famous. You know, he has to go to another class, and he's <laughs> the celebrities here in Miami." And yeah, he was waiting for me in the car, but. They figured out that he didn't speak, but they loved it so much that they said, listen, your, your punishment for lying to us that he spoke English is going to be that you have to make sure that he learns this whole script that we're going to do for an infomercial, a 30-minute commercial, and he's going to have a lot of speaking parts, and you're going to have to make him learn the whole script in English. So I said, how am I going to do that? And, and they said, you have to figure it out. So I wrote out the whole script in Spanish phonetics. Amazing. Like Amazing. How, the word, how the word would sound in Spanish, if you said it in, if you read it in Spanish to make the sound in English. <laughs> I think the hardest thing I've ever done. It took me <laughs> weeks of practice and, and, but he did it and he, his body language didn't match what he was saying because he had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> we launched the first infomercial and it, it was, it was not an instant success. Beto kept telling me they are doing salsa moves to merengue music in the infomercial. Like they were, how they had cut it. And I'm like, it doesn't matter, Beto. They don't know, like people who are buying it. And he's like, no, it, it matters because it's not going to match. It's not going to match. And I think in a way he was right, but it was a moderate success. But what happened was that people bought the tapes and the tapes, obviously the music was amazing and the music matched the moves. And it was just a, a great, great, workout and a great experience that the people who bought them started to call us saying, Hey, I want to find a local class. Where do I find a local class in Kansas city, Missouri, or no. I want to become an instructor and teach in Los Angeles. Is there, is there any trainings? And then we got a lot of calls of people saying, do you train instructors? And we said by the seventh or eighth call, we're like, sure we do. And we created an instructor training. And we wrote a manual. We had no idea how to write a fitness manual. We didn't mm -hmm. even know like what fitness certification, like it was so foreign to us. Everything was so hard, but we did the best we could. And we thought maybe 20 people were going to show up to the first instructor certification. 150 people showed up and they showed up from everywhere, from all over the country. They flew in to get taught how to teach Zumba. So for, for two days, Beto is speaking to them in Spanish and I'm translating and they are learning how to be Zumba instructors. <laughs> and I think that the thing that has helped us is that we really, really, really love listening to the customer. We love it. It's our passion to learn from them and listen to them and to observe them. And so we were doing these instructor certifications every two, three months and where we would do them all in Miami and people would show up from all over. But we saw that a lot of people were repeating, were coming back and they brought cameras. There was no phone cameras at that time. So they brought like real cameras to film the class and they would have Beto make a list 
of the songs that they should download. Mm. It was a time when people were downloading music from the internet, remember? And the choreographies for the songs, and it was very complicated for them to get started, where it was easy for him because he had built this over time. He mm. had been in Colombia for 10 years. He was teaching this before I met him, but very hard for them. Mm. So in 2006, we had to learn how to license music. We had to learn how to create our own DVD productions. We had to uh, learn how to build uh, online communities. It was before Facebook. We had to learn a lot of different things to create what we call the Zumba Instructor Network. And our focus for the Zumba Instructor Network is how do we make them successful? Mm. What are all the tools somebody needs to be a successful Zumba instructor and how can we give it to them at a very affordable price? Mm -hmm. And so we launched it. It was $30 at that time, $30 a month. It's now around $40 a month. And the Zuma Instructor Network just gives everything an instructor needs, delivers everything an instructor needs to be successful. And it was a huge success since day one. All the instructors wanted to join and we just did it by listening to them. Wow. And so you early on kind of knew this would work at this stage? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I like, I'm constantly looking at both sides. I think I have a, an ability to do the glass half full and glass half empty at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I can go from, this is the greatest thing to, this is not good. This is the greatest thing. So I didn't know if it was going to work. I just kept creating value. I would mm. create more and more value for the instructors and more value. And we, we didn't put goals that were too crazy for us. We we didn't set out to like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna be in every country in every gym. We just said if we can get this number of instructors, we can pay the bills. We can mm -hmm. pay the employees. Let's just go for this. And then when we we blew past that and we're like, okay, so now let's go for this. And and so achievable goals, and always through the lens of adding value doing more for them and putting ourselves in their shoes and their communities. Cause every single Zumba instructor has their own community. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the beauty of it. It's like, they, they are their, the hero in the neighborhood. It was not about Beto. It was not about mm -hmm. him. And we almost told him, you're not going to like this, but this is, you're not going to be in all our flyers. You're not going to be in all our videos. You're not, because this is about them. They need to be the heroes. Mm -hmm their of their neighborhood and and so just focusing on them and he found it okay he struggled with it at first <laughs> realized and you know what he's a he's a very creative like improvisation mind like he he can get up on stage and and teach a zumba class and figure out who's who in the Zumba class, who he needs to focus on. There's, he sees somebody new, he knows how to treat that person. Like he's, he's an incredibly talented guy. And I think he's proud when he sees other people using some of the tools that he, he developed. You should be, yeah. And so 20 years later, you're in how many countries now? So we're in 186 countries. We have... 86? Basically every country except for North Korea... Iran. <laughs> to uh, your knowledge, to your knowledge, yeah. Yeah, yeah to our knowledge. Actually, 
actually there's there was an article in Iran about Iran that six people who lived in Iran flew to Kuwait, became Zumba instructors in Kuwait, flew back and started teaching Zumba in Iran and started a movement inside wow. Iran. And they got arrested. They got arrested. And what the article said was that Zumba was illegal in Iran. Wow. Dancing, Zumba. And it was like another level of notoriety for us. Mm. And we actually were illegal in Iran. <laughs> uh, we can't even operate in Iran anyways. But like it shows that Zumba is like water. It just goes where it needs to flow. A friend of mine uh, called me from Bhutan. And she said, how can you're in Bhutan? I'm like, what do you mean? She sent me a picture of a Zumba sign in Bhutan. The, I don't wow. know if you've heard about the kingdom of Bhutan. It's 10,000 people. And there's really no external brands. It's just, it's like insulated. But Zumba was in there and it had a sign. So it just flows everywhere because people get passionate about it. Mm. And take the class wherever they go. So videos that we get of a Zumba class that happens in the jungle of Chiang Mai, Thailand. Like it's just very cool because there's no other fitness program that has this. It's absolutely it just, amazing. Yeah. It goes everywhere. And yeah. so if you, I mean, if you look back and there's so much to be proud of, the movement you've created, the positive impact you ha you're having on people's lives. I mean, it's insane. What, what are kind of the two, three... I guess, biggest moments doesn't have to be successful or failure, but kind of the defining moments in 20 yeah. years. Oh, there's so many, there's so many moments, but I think the first time I gave a speech at the Zuma convention, so we, we had our first Zuma convention in 2008 and it was only for instructors. And the Zuma convention is unlike any other fitness convention you'll ever see. And mm -hmm. it's just, It's a very happy, it's like Disney World for, for Zumba instructors. They, you open one room and they're dancing African music. And then you'll go to the other room and there's a hip hop class. And then there you go to, because they're going deep into every rhythm. That's one of the magical things about Zumba is that you, it's like yoga. You can never learn it all. Because you can go super deep into belly dance, super deep into salsa, super deep into reggaeton, super deep into hip hop, and just become, mm -hmm. but you'll never be the best at all of them. Mm -hmm. And so there's instructors who are better at one than the other. And so it's very cool because you have all those dynamics. It was a very impactful moment for me to be standing in front of 1,000 instructors. Wow. And giving us my first speech to a big group. And I saw people crying. Wow. crying in the front row and not because uh, what I was saying was terrible. <laughs> They were crying out of happiness. And, and I remember that speech. I remember that speech and I remember what I said. And I, and, and I remember I had a line when, uh, when I said, these, these faces, these are the faces that, that inspire change. You guys are the faces that inspire change. And so that was a big moment for me. Uh, I was very nervous, very nervous. Uh, even I'm going to say something that I haven't told anyone ever so that you have get an exclusive for the first five years of the Zumba convention, I had to take a tequila shot before I gave my speech <laughs> because I got so nervous, but yeah, it's been, that, that was a great moment. Another uh, moment that I have a big uh, memory of is in 2008, I remember my younger brother 
uh, was our CMO at the time. And uh, he's, he's this brilliant creative branding CMO. And he, he came to me in 2008 and I was very nervous because of the great recession. Mm. And I'm like, people are not going to want to get trained as Zuma instructors. People are not going to take Zuma classes. And he, and he said, you know what? I think the opposite's happening. I think Zumba is the cure for this thing. Mm. I think look at this article saying that gyms are packed. People remember people were out of a job. They were going to gyms. People are looking for something to do. People are looking for extra income. So mm-hmm. they were started getting certified. And we had our best year wow. in 2008 okay. because it was just every single Zoom instructor training was sold out. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember that moment. It was a powerful, powerful moment for me. Yeah, there's so many, so many. Well, but to me, I think the best memories are the stories of Zumba instructors just coming up to me, telling me how Zumba changed their life. Or yeah. like there was, a, uh, there's an instructor that has Down syndrome. Mm. She's a very talented Zumba instructor. And her mom came to me at the Zumba convention with her. And she said, listen, if it wasn't for Zumba, and my daughter would be packing groceries. She would be at the cash register packing groceries. That was the only job available to her. And now she has 20 people showing up three times a week to her class. And she's the leader. You made mm-hmm. my daughter with Down syndrome into a leader. Wow. I just started crying because it was so powerful. That's incredible. Yeah. And I'm sure there are like thousands and thousands of stories like that. It's hard to switch now, but like, let's talk about the leadership journey. How have you found it? What, what have you learned about yourself? Oh, yeah. I, I had, I never had exposure to a CEO when I was as, as an employee, right? I did a little bit, 10 months at the consulting firm, but then I went on my own. So there's a lot of things I didn't know and that I tried to get through books, reading books, networking, talking to people, but it's not the same as seeing someone operate, right? So I didn't have that nine to five experience of seeing somebody operate every day and how I could learn. So I kind of felt I was making it up along the way. And a lot of things seemed foreign to me, like the idea of corporate culture was very strange to me. I remember I'm like, I read all these books and they all talk about culture. And I'm like, what is culture? Like, what is, I don't understand what they mean (laughs) by culture. And so I did everything the book said. Yeah, you have to develop your core values. And we developed core values. My favorite core value is ego is not your amigo. That's a core value of Goomba. (laughs) I love it. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, and we tell the instructors also use it also because it's it's a big part of teaching the class. Nice. And not about them, it's about the students, right? So, but we wrote all out these core values, and I'm like, I'm still scratching my head. What is culture? What is culture? So there's something that that happens often at the Zumba office, which is especially pre-COVID. Now we're we're getting back into the office, but pre-COVID, we had a lot of instructors visit the office. They would come from Greece. Italy, from Chile, from Argentina to Miami on vacation and visit the Zumba office. Mm. And it was like Disney World for the instructors. I don't know, like it was, so they would, they got tours. We developed tours of the Zumba office. There was a person that was just did tours. 
And every time one of these tours was walking by, no matter what meeting was I was in, I would walk out of the meeting and I would go and talk to the instructors because I wanted to see how they were doing. I wanted for them to give, give us ideas. I wanted uh, to, to like hang out with them. And one day I came back to a meeting after having done that. And the people in the room said, well, someone in the room, I don't remember who it was, said, you know how you're always trying to figure out what culture is? That's culture. That what you just did mm. shows, showed us what is important to you, mm. showed us what was important. And now we understand. And so that's why we are all customer centric and driven by the instructors because how much you love it. And that, so that's what leadership lesson for me. It's, it's culture is about your actions more than what you say or what you try to like, you can't force culture. It's just, you, you act it out. And that's what gets trickled through the organization. And talk me through maybe on a personal level, you know, anxiety, stress. I mean, running such a oh. successful business as you do, and you've done it for 20 years, must have been really, really tough at times. Yeah, hardest time was COVID. Mm. Hardest time was March 2020. And, and, and I kind of saw it coming because we have instructors in China and the instructors in China were texting me. I talked to them on Instagram all the time, like mm. DM. And they were DMing me and saying, this is bad. Like it's, it's coming. And so, and I told my partners, they're like, no, it's going to be gone by, by May or whatever, mm. like what everybody was saying. It's, it's, it's less deadly than the flu. And, but like we, we felt that there was something, something wrong about it. And so we all went home in March 13th of 2020. And I went through a very, very tough time. Mm. First, uh, the instructors telling us, you can't charge us during COVID. During this time, we're in lockdown. And if, if we didn't charge them for two months, the company would not be solvent. Like it was mm. like we, we couldn't afford not to, mm. uh, because that, that was like a, a very big piece of, of our revenue. And, and so there were some tough times, like being alone in a room and not interacting with people the same way. And it was dark and seeing like no trainings, no one getting certified, pressure from the instructors. And it was tough. It was like I had moments that were very, very dark and I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. And, and then I saw my kids uh, were, were, were going to school on Zoom and just everything was like super dark. But there was a time when it like I was able to shift it and I don't know what it was, but I woke up one day and, and I said, let's, let's, let's create lemonade out of lemons here. Let's create. So I, 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 I challenged my tech team and told them in 60 days, you have to have 60 days. You have to have a platform for our instructors to teach online and mm -hmm. to collect payment online and to teach online and to interact with their students. And so we, we fit 58 days. It took them and they launched an incredible platform, wow. an app that our instructors can live stream through the app. There's zoom integration also, and there was a place for, for payment and the instructors had that. We also launched a, a lot of different activities to help 
instructors who were in need. And we said, you know what? We cannot give everybody a discount, but we're going to offer big discounts to the people who need them. So if you need a discount on your membership, just go to our website, go to go to this page and request it and we'll give it to you. And it was amazing because they were so honest and they're so incredible that only the ones who really needed it well, uh, did it. And so we did a lot of things for them. We did live streams every day, e-learnings. It was just, we gave them everything we had, everything in our heart. And so that felt good. And that got me through uh, the darkness and they were thankful and grateful for what we did. And so I think the way I've gotten out of anxiety or stress has been by just doing, just mm. plowing forward because there's no other way. Gasaful, yeah, makes makes sense. I mean, such a powerful one. And how how quickly kind of did it rebound? So so we haven't completely rebounded from from COVID. We're still we're still impacted. Mm. The fitness industry. The gyms shrank by like 20% around the world. So our instructors had 20% less places to mm. teach. Wow. Now the classes are packed right now, which is a good sign. Mm. So I go to my local LA fitness or my local gym here, or Virgin Active in London, and you go to the Zumba class and it's packed. Mm. So that's a good sign, which means that things are getting back to normal. Normal. We still need more facilities to open up or open back up. And that's going to take some time. And obviously the conflict in, in the Ukraine is, is impactful in many ways. I mean, the most difficult ways that we do have instructors in the Ukraine, a mm. lot of instructors in the Ukraine. And so they've, a lot of them have had to flee and we were helping them and we're sending the money. We are obviously not charging their membership and we are trying to help them figure out how to live this new part of their lives. And we have instructors in Russia, obviously, that are also impacted. So, and Europe in general is, is not behaving the same way that... Mm -hmm normally behaves because of the tension that's going on. So we hope it ends soon for the sake of everyone. right? For sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's incredible to have the vantage point you have and see into 186 countries. That's unbelievable. How do you still like learn 20 years? I mean, you mentioned you, re you read a ton of books uh, in the early days. How do you learn? So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm obsessed with, with learning. So, Is what I do all the time. So I listen to great podcasts. So I, I work out and I listen to podcasts at the same time. So I try to double that up, get the benefits of working out. And, I do the same. It's yeah, great. And listen to, to good podcasts like yours. And I read, I read, I read two or three books at the same time. I listen to books when I'm in the car. I'm constantly learning, reading articles all the time, talking to smart people. One of the, the good things from the pandemic was that a lot of smart people moved to Miami. And so I'm getting to meet new smart people all the time. Mm. And I'm, I'm obsessed with, with new ideas and learning and new ways of doing things. I, I invest in companies. And the reason I invest is to learn is 
is to to just I'm fascinated by new ways of doing things. And as a final question, if you look at all the entrepreneurs, the CEOs you meet, where you consider investing, what what's kind of the standout trade or trades? Yeah, so one is is obsession with the product and the customer. That's that's key. They need to talk about their product and you need to feel the love and the energy. Like if they're talking about their own child, mm -hmm. knowing their numbers. Uh, I, I think it's, it's if you're talking to someone who doesn't really know their numbers and, and they're trying to build a business and they don't have the, the financial dynamics in their mind, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, passion, knowing their numbers and timing. Getting the and, timing. and of course, be a Zumba customer, but yeah. Of course. <laughs> but we take that for granted. Yeah. Roberto, thank you so much for taking the time. Huge congratulations. It's amazingly inspiring what you've built and accomplished. It's really, really cool. Thank you, Timo. And same to you. What you've built, what you've accomplished. I'm a big admirer. And so I hope to see you soon. Overnight success takes 10 years. We're now 10 years old in April. So we need a bit wow. more time. It's day one still for us. <laughs> <laughs>